as far as fishing, I'm grateful for uh, the people that support us and, and and our friends. You know, this week I was able to find a small amount of time to go fishing with a, with a buddy that I've known for over two years and we've never met, you know, we've never met personally through other than through social media. And we talk all the time. I mean, almost daily, but we were able to go fish and swing up a couple steelhead for the first time uh, in person together. Um, so, so I'm grateful for those kind of relationships for sure. That was James Park getting a little deep into the why behind red truck rods. Why our guest is grateful for Red Truck Fly Fishing and the Grateful Dead, today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show. If you are uh, brand new to the podcast or haven't clicked the subscribe button, you can do that right now. Uh, just go down to your app and click subscribe and you'll get updated when that next episode goes live. You can also go to wetflyswing.com slash subscribe and there's a quick little easy to do uh, little intro on, on most of the popular apps that'll get you going there. James Park is here to talk about uh, how you can choose a trout rod with a little focus on uh, getting into a Euro Nymph rod. And he also talks about how Red Truck transitioned over over the years uh, from Leland fly fishing. We get into that today. We hear about his connection to Loop, the Fiberglass Manifesto, and Bill Graham Presents. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsor. Tokens Fly Shop, providing superior products at an affordable price. An amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fishing accessories. Since 2005, Togans has been over-delivering on price, service, and passion, and now it's time to discover the Togans buzz for yourself. Head over to wetflyswing.com slash Togans to get started today. You support this podcast by clicking over to take a look at Togans online. That's wetflyswing.com slash Togans, T-O-G-E-N-S. Togans! Without further ado, here is James Park from Red Truck Fly Fishing. How's it going, James? Doing well, man. How are you today? Good, good. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time to put this together and dig into a little bit on your uh, on red truck fly fishing. You know what you have going there. It's um, I think it's you know there's a lot of rod companies out there. You know you see a lot of these companies. I've talked to some of them, both small and big, and I'm interested, always interested to hear the story. So we're going to dig into that. But before we get there, talk about how you first got into fly fishing. You know, um, I grew up as I grew up kind of on the water. Um, I, I was a competitive swimmer my whole life, but I also lived uh, within a few minutes of the beach in Southern California. So, you know, I started surfing and fishing with my dad pretty early in my life, and um, by mistake, about 15 years ago, um, a friend of mine at the time had got me a guided trip. Uh, fly fishing for my birthday and didn't realize that it was um, a fly fishing trip. We we thought it was just kind of a conventional trip. Um, at the time, I wasn't super excited about fly fishing. I really honestly didn't know much about it. Um, but we ended up getting out there and 
for me, the first time I kind of met the guide and he handed me some waders, uh, in my brain, I just kind of made this connection with surfing, ironically. Um, you know, putting on the waders was like kind of putting on the wetsuit. And uh, the guide walked us down to the water and he checked the water temperatures. He checked what bugs there were under the rocks. And again, that kind of made a connection for me. Uh, waking up in the mornings and calling the surf report number and, and finding out the conditions. And um, before I even made my first cast, I, I just kind of had this shift in my brain. And um, I was literally hooked before I even caught a fish. So um, that was it. You know, I, I had an accidental fly fishing trip booked for me. And uh, being such an avid fisherman, you know, I found that a lot of the things I had grown up doing translated really into fly fishing. And uh, it's been about 16 years since that happened. That's cool. And and where were you? And so what were you fishing for before? Like, what were you catching before? You know, I grew up, like I said, on the on the ocean. So a lot of it was saltwater my entire youth, you know, up until I moved to the San Francisco Bay Area when I was 20. And uh, once I moved to the Bay, you know, I had less access to the ocean stuff. I didn't have a boat anymore. We weren't surfing because as a kid, we would just on days there was no surf. We would just paddle out to the kelp beds and drop a line, you know, Um but once I moved to San Francisco, it shifted. I, I started doing a lot more trout fishing, which I had done zero trout fishing growing up. Um, we also fished the Delta a lot. So, you know, I was a very avid bass guy, a lot of stripers. Um, but that particular fly fishing trip, that first one was on the Little Truckee River here up by Lake Tahoe. Um and that was it, you know, these big, big, wild rainbows. Um, and, and honestly, for about the first seven or eight years after our, that trip, I didn't pick up a conventional rod at all. Um, everything I did was fly fishing. Things have changed since then. You know, I, I just I still love to fish. So, uh, you know, depending on the conditions or where I'm at, I'll pick up a gear rod here and there for sure. Um but before I was mainly fishing bass, a uh, little bit of trout, uh, and after that, it just kind of opened up the whole the whole world of, of species. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Who and who was the? Uh, do you remember the the guide? Was it, are they still going out there? You know, I don't know if he is. His name was Tim Haddon, and uh, Tim Tim was a, a Truckee River guide. Um, he had a real popular crayfish pattern, kind of a dead drift crayfish. I think that's what it was called, Tim Haddon's dead drift crayfish. And um, he was doing a lot of kind of what we nowadays call, you know, Euro-nymphing or tight line nymphing back then without an indicator, uh, nice heavy crayfish pattern. But, yeah, I'm not sure if Tim's out there anymore. I haven't heard his name pop up in a little while. I'm sure he's guiding up there still, but um, I'd love to love to touch base with that guy. And you're still now, um, I know you've had some transition here, uh, but are you still in California now? Yes, I'm nowadays, I moved from the Bay, and now I'm out in the Sacramento area, about an hour and a half away from San Francisco. There you go. Yeah, so you're still in the, uh, yeah, pretty much the heart of it. I mean, we've had, 
It seems like the more I get in this podcast, the more I get these California episodes, right? It seemed like at the start, maybe I wasn't getting as much. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you guys have tons of resources down there, right? You have tons of, uh, I mean, the SAC, you've got, yeah. you know, the, the Trinity. I mean, all these rivers, these amazing rivers. And so even though, uh, you know, obviously San Francisco or California has a lot of people, there's still lots of good opportunities down there. Is that still the case? Absolutely. I mean, you know, in Northern California in particular, we have so much water. Um, you know, believe it or not, you know, the, the San Francisco Bay Area, Sacramento area uh, has a huge, huge population of fly fishermen. Um, fly fishing people in general. There's there's a real large number, and as as you know, you know a lot of the brands got their start out here in the Bay Area. You know Winston and Scott and uh, oh, several handfuls of brands. You know who have now spread out throughout the country. Um, started here in San Francisco Bay Area or Northern California. So we have a long history of fly fishing here, uh, a lot of resources, plenty of water, and uh, a lot of great fishing still. So how did you go from, um, you know, basically where you're at, where you're, you're, there, you're there, you're now you're in the sack, but how did you go from the San Francisco into the, uh, the red truck fly fishing? Because now you own a uh, fly rod company, right? I do. It's kind of an interesting story. Um, so I, I actually was a customer of, at the time, what was Leland Fly Fishing Outfitters in downtown San Francisco. Um, after I did that first initial trip, um, I went back to my home base in, in the city and quickly looked up any fly shop or any fly fishing resource that I, I could find. And, you know, basically in San Francisco, we had an Orvis shop. And we had Leland Fly Fishing Outfitters. And lucky for me, um, the, the business I owned at the time was just a couple buildings down from the fly shop. And I'd never really noticed it. Uh, so I called them up, talked to a guy named Keith Westra, who I'm sure a lot of your listeners know who Keith is. Um, and I signed up for a fly tying class. And I couldn't get it started quick enough. Uh, I didn't have a rod. I didn't have a reel yet, but I signed up for a fly tying class. And within a couple of days, you know, I went into the their shop and learned how to tie a woolly bugger. And um, I'd probably say within 24 hours of that, I had a couple rods and a couple reels. Um, and that was it. So I started off as a customer of that shop. And at the time, that shop was doing really well and were developing – or in the early stages of developing their own rod company. And when they did that, they did Leland Rod Fly Rod Company and Red Truck Fly Rod Company. So I started off as a customer and slowly throughout the years of spending, you know, a lot of time in that shop almost every day, uh, I just kind of organically started working there. You know, people would come in when I was a customer and they'd just see me there all the time and they'd ask me questions. Um, and Keith, again, Keith Wester asked me, you know, you're here all the time and the days you aren't fishing, if you want to come in and help us out, we'd love that. So I started part-time on the weekends. Um, and keep in mind, I had my own business at the time, so I was pretty busy already. Uh, but if I wasn't fishing, I still wanted to talk shop and be in that environment. So I started picking up a couple shifts here and there. Um, after a couple years of that, 
ironically, um, I was able to get a little bit more involved with the business side of the manufacturers in South Korea and um, getting to work with those guys. I'm actually Korean. So for them, it was really neat hmm. to meet an American fly fisherman who understood the business side of things, understood the sport and who happened to speak their language. So um, amazing. Yeah, I was able to work with those guys. Um, about 2010, I decided to sell my business, and I took off for about a year and just went fishing. And I went all around the Pacific Rim, uh, New Zealand, Australia, Thailand, did a lot of exploration fishing. And during that trip, um, the manufacturers from Korea called me, asked me if I can help them out with a couple things. And... Uh, kind of got started with working with different brands in the industry and, and helping them out. Uh, in particular, Loop Tackle from Europe. Uh, worked with those guys for several years and, and kind of reestablishing their presence here in North America. And about six years ago, um, I, I was asked to come back to Leland and, and Red Truck, at which point I did. And um, Earlier this year, we were able to transition for me to take over as the owner, and uh, now I'm doing Red Truck on my own here. Yeah, that is a uh, and I and I know we left out a lot there uh, in, along the way. Yeah, that's a cool. You know, I mean, Loop. I, I think back to Loop because I mean they've been around a long time. I've had um, at least one episode there, and but um, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I remember Loop, right? They they kind of jumped out a while back, and then it seems like they did have a revitalization. What what was that like? Taking was that a big? I mean, how did you get those? How did you help to launch them in the U.S.? Well, you know, they've been in the U.S. So they, the Loop's been around for thirty plus years. Uh, they've kind of always had this underground uh, presence. Um, they've always been known for their innovation, kind of pushing pushing the design aspect of fly fishing and, and willing to try different things. Uh, again, a long history. Their, their, their head rod designer for 30 years was Joran Anderson, who in Europe, you know, a lot of people uh, consider him to be kind of the guy that started the whole Scandi um, shooting head movement. And, um, you know, throughout the years, I feel like Loop, at, at, you know, especially 10 years ago uh loop kind of had an up and down presence um and, and what really they asked me to do is just come in and kind of reestablish the consistent presence and um you know we were able to do that we were able to set some routes for them and you know i did a lot of traveling visiting a lot of shops going to a lot of the shows um and just kind of reestablishing the fact that Loop has was there, is there, and still to this day is there, and that's all it really was. You know, they've always made fantastic stuff. To this day, they make really great product. Um, so it wasn't so much as establishing it as it was just to to create a more consistent presence here. Gotcha. And, and yeah, we're going to dig into a little bit on, I know you have a new rod coming out, a nipping rod we're going to touch on. I, I just wanted to highlight one thing before we get there on, you know, you mentioned the South Korea thing. And, uh, you know, I think it was TFO maybe was the biggest one. I mean, we talked a little bit about that. We've had some rod companies here talk about the background. And it sounds like, you know, the Korea, really, that's where a lot of these 
you know, some of those good rods, I guess it's the OEM. I'm not even sure exactly what, what that, you know, stands for or whatever, but, um, you know, talk about that. Is Korea the place? Is that the place? If you're not building rods in the U.S., is that still the best place to source rods? Yeah, I mean, you know, this we're gonna we have the ability to go into a rabbit hole here. Yeah, with so yeah. Many let, different let, opinions. Let's go. And, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, I, I think you nailed it on the head. As far as uh, production of of rods for um, most or or many major brands that we fish um south korea has kind of become one of the premier places to do that um there's several countries in asia right now that that can make fly rods but over the last uh, especially the last 10 to 15 years korea has really uh, stepped up their game and have become what we consider you know one of the best rod manufacturing countries out there um, you know, if you look at anything that the Koreans are doing, obviously think companies like Samsung and LG have a huge presence already. Um, you know, so we know the quality and the technology that they have access to is, is outstanding. And for us, you know, we, we really, really enjoy working with those folks and, um, we think they make the best rods out there. You know, we, we really do. We just think they're doing some real outstanding stuff out there. You mentioned that you're uh, Korean. Do you, have you been over there? Have you been to South Korea? Yeah, yeah, I've been there several times. You know, before I was in the business, I'd gone and visited many times, and um, since I've been in the rod business, you know, I try to get out there at least every couple of years. Um, and that's neat too, you know, having seen how much that country has developed in the last, you know, 30 years is pretty amazing. It's really post 1988 Seoul Olympics, uh, Korea has just expand, it, it exploded, you know, economically, socially, um, politically, everything has just really, really grown so fast and so quickly and really you know oftentimes when that happens it can be a little bit sketchy or shady you know when countries develop too quickly but i think korea has a real strong infrastructure um and a very very long history you know five thousand plus years of written history in that country um so what what you see a lot of is uh, a lot of old traditional mindset, uh, but with modern technology and access to modern materials. And um, it, we've seen a lot of innovation and cool stuff come out of there. And kind of the, the elephant in the room, so to speak, is, I mean, you've got uh, uh, North Korea uh, just just up above. What, what's been, uh, what, <laughs> how's that? Is that, is that been, I mean, you're, you're in South Korea. Is that, is that always a looming thing or is that like not too big of a deal? You know, it, I, I think North Korea is a bigger issue to the rest of the world than, than Korea, honestly. Um, when you go to Korea, obviously, you know, the, there's always the question in North Korea because in the simple press of a button, you know, within minutes, a country like Seoul can be destroyed. <laughs> is he still – is that guy still there? Is, is the uh, the crazy, uh, you know – uh, what, what's his name? Yeah. Uh, he's still running the Kim show. Kim Jong-un. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's still, well, apparently. <laughs> yeah, apparently. <laughs> who, who knows, right? Right, um, right, right. I think I just read something a couple weeks ago that the, the 
the government in South Korea has noticed he's lost a tremendous amount of weight, which you know may, which may mean uh, his health is deteriorating more or quickly than they thought. Um, you know, when you go to Korea, people don't really it's it's not on people's minds. Um, super upfront obviously it is but you know you don't hear a lot about it you don't think about it when you're there um and you're really talking about like two totally different countries right um north korea is definitely primitive in, in so many ways and south korea has advanced so much um Iron, you know, ironically, the Korean people, we don't really look at it so much as South and North Korea, you know, for it's only in my grandparents' generation that really um, the countries were separated, you know. Um, so it's kind of Korea, especially to that older generation. Um, but, you know, when you meet Koreans in America, we get that question a lot. Are you South Korean or North Korean? Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're North Korean, chances are you're not in this country. <laughs> no, God, no. It's interesting. I think that's what's really cool about, um, you know, I mean, obviously about the U.S., one of the cool things is like how diverse, you know, we are as a country. You know, I have a really good friend up in, in well, I guess up in Canada, up on, uh, you know, in Ontario. Uh, Jimmy Kim, shout shout out to Remix My Fitness. He's kind of this one of my good buddies, and yeah, yeah, man. I mean, we don't ever even talk about that. You know what I mean? The fact that yeah. he's Korean, it, it never even comes up. I don't think maybe it's come up once, but you know, it's just like that's the great thing is that you know, it's not even a thing. You know, it never. It's like oh, yeah. you're, you're whatever. It's like you're just you, you live in the U.S. So, but I, it's interesting for me because you know people that haven't been there, like I've never been to Korea, and it's always like that thing, like well, what is it like? So I guess the only way to do it is to get out there and travel, right? Yeah, really it is. I mean, I, I've been really fortunate to travel a lot in my life and, you know, obviously speaking the language and being familiar with the food and things like that is a big plus, but um Seoul and, and, and South Korea in general is just an amazing country to visit. It, there's, you know, a lot of Americans um that haven't been to Asia don't realize it, but even in the countryside in South Korea, like literally you can be in a small, tiny village. The street signs will always have parentheses with an, the English, uh, whether it's, you know, phonetically written out or, um, you know, signage in general is very uh, convenient. And uh, especially amongst the younger people, you know, English is taught in school these days. It's real important for Koreans to learn English. And, and, and actually, they're very particular about learning American-style English. They want to use the American accent, you know. Uh, they're close to Australia, New Zealand, have a ton of people from those countries living there. And, they, you know, they'd rather learn the, the, the accent-free English, as we would say here in the States, you know. Um, and also, you know, Korea's image around the world has really changed in the last 20, 30 years. Um, even when I was a kid, you know, the questions I'd be asked, you know, if I met someone new would be, are you Chinese or are you Japanese? And um, only really in the last, like, again, post-Olympics, have you had more people ask, are you Korean? You know, um, I think there's a, 
here in the States, we've just opened our eyes a little bit more to that kind of thing. Uh, there's been a lot more Korean presence with companies and business here. Uh, used to be like, oh, my, my, my dad served in Korea. My grandpa fought in the Korean War. Um, it's just changed dramatically. My father-in-law, actually, uh, he's, he did some time in South Korea. And when he was back there, he would literally talk about it. it would be dirt roads in Seoul and no streetlights. And, you know, nowadays when you go to Seoul, it's like it's one of the major metropolitan cities of the world, right? Um, you've got a population of millions and millions and millions of people. And to get from one side of Seoul to the other it takes multiple hours. Um, it's just grown so much and and has advanced so much. Um, it's a really, really convenient and cool country to travel through. Well, if we have a little time here at the end, maybe we'll circle back around, talk about some of your travels and maybe some of the, the species you know, you've know you dug into there. Uh, sounds like that's probably some good stories. But let, let's dig into this, uh, this nymphing rod, because I know you have a new rod. I'm not sure if it's out yet, but um, I'd like to hear... You know, with Red Truck, I know you've got a, a standard line of rods, I think even some glass and stuff, but but talk about this nymph rod. Maybe describe how this nymph rod is different from, you know, all the rest. Because I, I would imagine that's the challenge, right? You've got everybody who's into Euro nymphing. You come out with a new rod. You know, how do you separate yourself from the rest of the pack? Or do you have to? Or, you know, how does all that look? Yeah, you know, Euro nymphing's become so popular recently and, and, um, the fact is, is the, the style of Euro nymphing has been around for so long. You know, Sage made their first ESN rod so many years ago. Um, I think maybe social media has had a huge impact on how quickly the whole Euro nymphing thing has spread and how popular it's become. Nowadays, it's hard to go into YouTube and type in fly fishing without seeing, you know, 16 different videos on the first page about Euro nymphing. Um, like I mentioned before, um, Tim Haddon, the first guy I fished with on the little truckie, him and his buddies were doing back then what we call check style nymphing, right? Um, no indicators, straight tight line with heavy weighted flies down the bottom. Um, so for us, really, we are trying to meet the demand. So many of my customers in the last year and two, year or two have asked specifically, you know, do you make a 10-foot three-weight, a 10-foot four-weight? Um, and we didn't. You know, our philosophy for so many years was um, we're only going to try to produce rods that people need. And the reason we did that when we developed this company was because – you know, a lot of the bigger brands that can afford to do it, uh, they'd have six, seven, eight, ten different options for a nine foot five weight, you know. Um, and and what we found being a retailer at the time was there was a lot of confusion, you know, a lot of people coming into the sport and a lot of people that had, had been fly fishing their whole lives would would get confused. Why are there so many different rods why are there so many different rods even in the same uh, specifications, right? Um, so we kind of avoided overproducing models. But really, in the last several years, we've seen our customers asking for it. And ultimately, that led me to saying, hey, we got to make something because 
I would say daily we're getting calls from people saying, "Hey, when's when are you guys going to come out with the Euro style, you know, nymphing rod?" So we've developed that. We're in development. Those rods will be out later this summer. Um, as you know, production and whether it's Ford F one fifties or fly rods, <laughs> production around the globe has been slowed down a lot by. Uh, coronavirus, as well as everything that happened in the Suez Canal earlier this year. Um, so, you know, it's not going to be available till later this summer, but we'll be coming out with the 10 foot three weight. Um, we've been testing the rod for the last several months. Uh, we've just finalized all of the details on that rod and the action, and uh, we're really looking forward to that coming out. Yeah, I mean, it seems like. Um you know, the 10 foot three weight or, or, or four weight, one of those, I mean, it, I mean, would you say that's almost becoming the new nine foot five weight? Cause I know there's not only for Euro nipping, but you know, trout spay and a lot of these rods now, I mean, you can actually use them for, you know, spay, but then you could switch and still use them for single hand. What's your take on that? Do you think this 10 foot three weight is going to take over? You know, I, I think a nine foot five weight is still kind of going to be your all purpose trout rod, right? I, I think, um, first of all, trout is king, as we say in this industry. Um, I, I think for all around purposes, a nine foot five weight is still going to check the boxes for a vast majority of guys. Uh, I think for the few guys, for the, the, the handful of people that take that extra deep step into the, the fly fishing pool, um, I think this rod is definitely going to be a part of their arsenal without a doubt. Um, you know, in the last 10 years, we've seen a lot of stuff develop, like trout spay has become so much more popular, longer rods in general. Um, you know, we even make a five weight. We've been making it for about 11 years. We make a five weight that has an interchangeable fighting butt, you know, that switches out to a spay handle, uh, an 11 foot five weight. And um, I think that trend is going to continue. But I definitely, um, and as much as I think it's going to be a part of everyone's arsenal, I, I still think a nine foot five weight is going to be kind of your standard all-purpose trout rod. We still see that that model is our best-selling model. Uh, we still see that a lot of people coming into the sport, uh, they're still being told by shops and their friends, you know, go get a nine foot five weight. Yeah, I love that you mentioned the Ford F-150. I think I'd love to hear, you know, the process there because I know they're coming out with this lightning. You know, have you heard of this thing, this new uh, electric uh, F-150? Yeah, totally. It's, it's the Very big, cool. Yeah, it's the, <laughs> it's the big buzz. I think I got an email from one of the dealers like, hey, reserve your uh, reserve your lightning. It, it's coming out next year. So they're, they're building buzz for it. But, I mean, on your rod, I guess take it back to your rod. So, well, this episode will probably air later this summer, so it might be a, a decent timing. So probably you're sometime this summer, at least by the fall, you'll have this 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 ten foot three weight out. Yeah, we're we're hoping we'll have it out in August. Um, but like I said, with the way production has been going for almost anything out there, we're we're also anticipating the possibility of delays. Uh, the guys we work with in Korea are really generally pretty awesome about getting things out on time. So we're hoping to have it out in time for people to still have several months this year to be able to fish with it. <laughs> um, and uh, fingers crossed that, that it will stay on schedule for sure. 
Yeah, one of the things with and maybe we could get into a little bit of this just on the the process of the development because I know I can't remember which company I was talking to, but they were talking about the Euro nipping rods and the difference between you know a rod that recovers fast and a rod that doesn't recover fast makes a big difference, especially with Euro um, and. You know, as you get into this, I mean, how does that development work when you're looking to do this rod? I mean, walk us through that a little bit. So you got this idea for this rod. I'm not sure. Is it just you? I mean, are you just a one-man deal running the show here now with this company? Yeah, I mean, basically, as far as the business side of things, you know, it's a one-man show, you know. So I'm handling the operations. Um, I'm handling a, a lot of the rod development, et cetera. Um, fortunately for me, you know, I've been able to work with, again, this manufacturer for many, many years now. Um, I've also been lucky to sit in so many, you know, design and production meetings with, with amazing designers, especially the old school guys from Loop, uh, Euron Anderson, I've got to spend a lot of time with, and even their, their head rod designer now, Klaus Freemore, who's an excellent, excellent fisherman and rod designer, um, also, the Koreans have really awesome engineers. You know, rod rod develop their rod development teams outstanding. So you know, you kind of have two options. You can go in there with a formula that you specifically want done, and then from there you can kind of make adjust uh, adjustments along the way as you test out samples and. You can get back to them and say, hey, you know, this section needs more flex or this section needs to be a couple degrees tighter. Um, or there's also brands you can just call up the Koreans and say, hey, I'm looking for a fast action rod. And they'll send you 15 samples that uh, you can test out and pick one. Um, we, we, have, we have what we call kind of our red truck action. Um, which, which, you know, we, we like to call our rods a true progressive rod. Uh, they're not, they're not ultra fast. Uh, they have a nice fast action to them, but they're not, uh, broomsticks in your hand. Um, a Euro nymph rod in our mind is a little bit different, right? You need to have a, a real sensitive tip so you can feel the take, uh, but we still want enough backbone in the rod, especially in a three weight, to be able to handle some of those bigger waters or bigger fish. Um, so what we've kind of developed is something that has um, more of a medium, faster action, but with a real nice sensitive tip. And uh, after, like I said, months and months of development, I think we found something that's going to be ultra competitive out there, super fun. We've been able to put it in dozens of people's hands. And, and so far, the feedback on our final design has been really, really awesome. So we're looking forward to that. Nice. And and when this gets out here, how are you? I mean, what does that look like as far as getting this out to the world? Are you? I mean, it sounds like you guys, you know, you, things are you're having some success, like on social media and stuff like that. But what's that look like? How are you going to make sure people know about this thing? Yeah, you know, and and in this day and age, we're really relying a lot on social media. Yeah. Um, being a smaller rod company, we don't have these huge marketing budgets, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, we've got to kind of do it a little bit more organically. And, you know, just in the last year, we've been able to grow our social media pages significantly. Um, 
So, so right now our plan is to just continue pushing it on social media, getting it in people. You know, the beauty of our situation is we have a very, very loyal customer base. You know, uh, we've got guys that have been fishing Red Trick for 10 plus years, uh, but we've also got a huge presence among kind of this younger um, up and coming group of fly fishermen and i think we've really been able to speak to those guys uh providing super cool content you know fun videos um and really it's been grassroots those guys are going out there um last week alone i had a guy or about two weeks ago i had a young fella from idaho call me had heard about our rods through his friend he purchased a rod got it called me the day he received it went out on the water and fished it fished it hard for about a week and suddenly i just started getting tons of emails and calls you know over a dozen emails and calls from people hey so and so in idaho told me i got to try your rod so and so in idaho told me i got to try your rod so we're seeing a lot of that. We're seeing a lot of guys going out there and, and talking to their friends about our product and talking to their family about our rods. Um, and we've also got some great people we've been working with for years and, and new folks. Um, I work closely with Cameron over at Fiberglass Manifesto for our glass rods, and he's been promoting the Red Truck Glass for 10 years now. Um you know, Shane Gray at Gray Wolf Rods, who's a fiberglass rod builder, he's been uh, wrapping on our blanks, and he's been selling our reels. And, you know, we're, we're really seeing that the, these little niches and, and um, getting in front of the right people have, have been able – has enabled us to, to get the word out a little easier. Um, so right now – we're going to hit the shows next year once they get back online. And um, we haven't done that in a long time. And, and we're just going to keep pushing it through social media for sure. Yeah, I, I love the – I mean that's part of the, thing, the reason I love this podcast because, I mean, there's a ton of amazing companies out there. But hearing your story and then sharing your story with other people out there I think is helpful because, you know, I'm kind of the same way, right? We were a small kind of – grassroots kind of a solo show growing a thing and it's, it's not easy all the time but that's part of it is, is building relationships obviously and and it sounds like you've been uh, doing some of that what, what, what has been the biggest you know I mean you've taken over I know recently kind of fully from from Leland but what's been your biggest challenge so far to, to kind of scaling this thing or getting to where you want to get it's it's interesting ultimately it's money right you know we just we don't have these six figure budgets to go market out there um so we have to kind of approach it more strategically we have to approach it again more organically um I, you know i can't I, not only it's not only that i can't but i refuse to go on and buy followers right um for me it's much more important like to this day uh, Every single person that follows us, every single person that follows us, uh, I'll send them a quick note. Hey, thanks for following us. Uh, let me know if you have any questions. Um, and, and I'll even extend that to to the newbies. You know, hey, if you have any questions or, or concerns or comments about fly fishing in general, feel free to reach out to me. Um, that's obviously made me busier, but um, – you know, spending time I don't have, but uh, I think connecting with my customers is the most important thing 
because if they're going to spend their hard-earned money on my rods, I want to reciprocate that by providing information or providing them with the correct information. Um, and, and touching those people individually has been very helpful. I think for us, we've seen a lot of our growth happen once we've kind of um, become independent, uh, once we've kind of, once the world has learned and is still learning that, you know, we are now an independent company, Red Truck is its own deal, uh, Leland is still a dealer for us, which we appreciate and love, but um, we're kind of moving in a different direction from that old retail model. And we're, we're fully established as a rod company that's independent and doing our own thing. And that's really been beneficial for us uh, to our customers as well as, um, as well as just the industry in general. And uh, we've been real fortunate for that. And now let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Togan's Fly Shop, providing superior quality products at an affordable price, an amazing resource for fly tying materials, tools, and fly fishing accessories. Togan's has you covered when looking for unique in-house products, but also supports and supplies materials and tools from other leading fly brands you know and trust. Togan's is now offering their mystery fly tying box, where they simplify the process for you in choosing materials. You're only one click away from these hand-picked subscription tying boxes that are packed with value at almost half the cost. And I recently made a order through Togans, and the experience was perfect. After a uh, recent trip uh, nipping for trout, I had to replace my tungsten beads and some jig hooks and a few other items. The products arrived in a couple of days from Togans with a nice little card, a bonus value, and a welcome note from the Togans family. Since 2005, Togans has been over-delivering on price and customer service, so it's time to discover for yourself what the buzz is all about. Head over to wetflyswing.com Togans and take a look at their diverse selection of products today. You can support this podcast by clicking over to take a look at Togans online. That's wetflyswing.com T-O-G-E-N-S. Togans. Now let's get back to the rest of the show. Well, I wanted to, uh, yeah, and I want to dig in a little more on just the the nymph rod to talk about some more, you know, features, or we can talk about some other rods you have too. But I want to touch on that Leland thing we we talked kind of off air a little bit about, and without digging in too deep, just for people that maybe know, because I think that's where I first heard of you. I think Leland was known as, um, I think at one point they were like the largest um, online retailer or something like that, one of the largest, right? I mean, and now yeah, for now- years before that they were too. You know, before the whole internet thing, uh, they were the largest over-the-counter dealer for a very, very large number of brands out there. Um, and again, that has to do with a couple things. You know, again, the San Francisco Bay Area has a huge number of fly fishermen. Um, so you again, you look at the history of fly fishing, and before Leland's, the shop was called. F- uh, fly fishing outfitters and they'd been, had a presence in downtown san francisco um being in the bay area when the whole dot-com boom and the whole you know technology boom happened down the street you know in the silicon valley um leland was able to capitalize on that and they they built one of the first real bigger e-commerce websites and for many many years leland was uh 
probably the biggest retailer in the world for 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 several years. Um, yeah, without jumping into it too deep, uh, at one point Leland had over twenty two you know employees full time. They had their own video team, their own copywriting team. Um, you know, there was one point we were so busy that every morning we'd print out orders and hand a stack of 30, 40 orders to every employee, whether you were on the copy team or the video team. And we would have to go box up stuff and ship it ourselves, you know, and you got 30, 40 orders to 22 people. <laughs> um, that tells you how busy we were. Um, but other shops started getting their own web stores together and, and learning uh, about e-commerce and how to build their presence. Um, at some point, Leland purchased a, a large ranch in Sonoma, California, up in wine country, about an hour north of San Francisco. And um, I think it's at that point that uh, a lot of the focus was put into the ranch and developing kind of a really cool destination for fly fishermen to come play with rods, catch some fish, um, spend their time on this beautiful 13-acre ranch next to some of the most famous wineries in the world. Um, and as that transition kind of happened um, and other businesses were getting online, uh, Le Leland's focus kind of went away from uh, the rest of the industry, so to speak, um, and they, their focus really became on uh, turn to just the ranch and, and how to build that. And I think what what happened is is just times changed, and uh, people had more resources and and more places they can buy stuff, and. Um, yeah, like I said, just a transition at that point is really what happened. Um, That's it. I think about five or six years ago, Leland ended up selling that ranch, um, at which point, you know, my my group and I were able to come in and help them out and, and kind of try to reestablish their internet presence. And to this day, you know, they've got a great website, a great store, some great new owners over there in Idaho, and they're doing their thing. Um, for me, I've just been able to kind of say, Hey, let's take red truck and focus on being a rod and reel company. Um, and really put our, our soul and energy into that, you know, uh, on making what we consider, you know, the best rods that you can get for their price point and, and, and putting it in the right people's hands. So that's kind of what we've been focusing on more just as our own brand. That's perfect. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. I think for those that know of Leland and it's good to hear that story a little bit. And what was the name of that ranch? Do you remember what was the name of that thing? Yeah, it was just called the Leland, the, the Leland ranch. Yeah. Just um, the Leland ranch. There you go. Yeah. The Leland ranch. I think maybe my numbers could be a little off, but you know, I think like 15 years ago, Orvis built a fly fishing kind of like, course or, or kind of playground up in bend oregon and um at, at the time it was kind of uh try, trying to develop just a really cool destination you can come to and, and test out rods and test out equipment and sip on some fine wine <laughs> and <laughs> yeah um you know there were issues there because uh 
the, you know, there were some issues with neighbors. Um, uh, the neighbor right to their north was an airport, and they didn't like the idea of um, a, a pond, you know, right next door to them. And it turned into its own situation. But um, the, the whole goal and idea of what that ranch was was cool. I mean, to this day, I think any fly fisherman would love to go visit a place like that, you know. Um, it just was one of those things that didn't work out. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Well, I wanted to dig into, you know, just as we start to take this out of here, maybe talk about some of your other products. You mentioned the glass and stuff like that, but I always go back to this thing, you know, we're talking about, you know, Leland and how, you know, I mean, you know, they had some transition there and I always take it back to like, you know, don't be boring, right? If you're a, if you're a company or a brand, you know, how do you keep things interesting? So, you know, with you guys, I mean, how do you do this? How, how do you, yeah, how do you stay ahead of the puck? How do you keep from being boring? What what's your strategy going forward here? Or, or it sounds like talking to your customers. Obviously, that's a huge thing to do. But are you thinking of other ways to keep things interesting? Yeah, I mean, you know, one one thing with with Red Trick is we during about a, a six seven year period we weren't really focused on making new stuff, and I think that was a big mistake for us. And in the last couple years, we've been developing new rods, new models, uh, and expanding our business. And by expanding and, and having more customers reach out to us and having more folks in the industry talk to us about what what they would like to see us do um, has helped kind of steer our ship a little bit. Um, we mentioned glass, you know, glass, which has been around forever. Um, we keep hearing this resurgence of glass. You know, this whole resurgence has been happening for many years now. And uh, we expanded into a newer model about two years ago in a five-weight because before we were only doing like a four-weight, kind of a dry fly glass rod. Um, and this year, we're going to develop three new glass models. Uh, we've been really lucky <laughs> that our glass rods have become ultra popular with that group of people. Um you know, again, with the help of guys like Cameron, who who he'll tell you he, how much he loves our four weight and now our five weight. So this summer we'll have our new three weight packable glass rod come out. Um, we'll have a new six weight and a new eight weight as well. Um, and again, the one philosophy that we're sticking to is kind of making rods that serve a purpose, right? Not just designing rods to design them. Um, so the three-weight being a packable rod for a lot of guys that want that three-weight, most of the time they're fishing skinnier, smaller water. So we decided to make it a packable rod that you can shove in your backpack or throw under your trucks, you know, the seat of your truck and just go out and fish. Um, and again, the way we're doing that is we're listening. We're listening to what the customer wants and we're listening to what, uh, our peers are telling us, and and I think that's been key for our growth is is to be accessible um, and to be ultra aware of where the industry is going, what's pushing the industry forward, and 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 doing and, and taking action and actually making those things happen. So. Um, we're going to continue down that route and, and kind of like we touched on earlier before we jumped on this call, uh, you know, social media keeps changing. 
right? Whether it's the algorithms that Instagram or Facebook uses. Um, nowadays, there's so many new apps and so many new platforms. And, and trying to participate with those uh, has been ultra beneficial for us as well. Um, you know, the demographics for each platform is slightly different. So we want to address and listen to all the folks out there that are using our stuff. So um, really our biggest, uh, the, the biggest way we've grown is, is organically through having access to our customers and, and, ha- and the customers having access to us. One customer at a time. And you mentioned the, the reaching out on Instagram, you're, you're just doing that. I mean, is that, that's not an automated thing. You're actually physically reaching out and just saying, Hey, to whoever follows you guys. Yes. So that's, you know, that's one thing that, uh, I spend a lot of time on. Um, if people reach out to us on red truck, they're not talking to, you know, a social man, social media manager. They're literally talking to me, you know? So, um, not only am I, running the business side of things and, and developing new products and stuff. But, you know, right now I'm still organically handling all of this Instagram and Facebook traffic. And and, and as I mentioned earlier, like TikTok, you know, um, fortunately for me, I have so many great customers and so many cool people using our stuff that they're able to provide awesome content with me uh, for me, excuse me. Um, they're able to, I'm able to go fishing with a lot of these guys, which is cool because it's, it's like having new friends every few weeks, right? Um, getting to sit down and actually fish with this people, these people has been a big key part of how we're growing on social media and not to beat a dead horse. But again, I think that has to do with just that accessibility, you know, um, being able to actually listen directly to these people, go fish with these people, um, and have that kind of support has just been immense for us. You mentioned the, um, just about, I think, you know, you're talking about the rods, right? Our uh, red truck wasn't producing a lot of stuff and in the past and new stuff. And I remember, you know, always thinking about that, like, you know, the company's always coming up with something new. And I think you kind of look at iPhone, right? A little bit and Apple, they come out and they have this buzz party and this, this huge, massive thing. And I mean, that's the thing with the same thing with the rods, right? These, you come out with a new rod and people get excited. I mean, that's part of the thing where you're keeping it, you know, keeping it fresh, right? Do you see that as a, as an important part moving forward? Absolutely. I mean, I think that's, that's our society now, right? It's a fine line to walk between what we were mentioning earlier with, you know, the good old the good old saying of, you know, don't fix something that's not broken. I, I think that still firmly should exist. Right. I mean, um, there's only so many things you for example, for example, with rods or reels, you know, there's only so many things you can do with graphite or fiberglass or nowadays, you know, rod companies are using graphene, uh, a new material out there um, for, for fly rods or, or take a reel, for example, you know, you can't really change the design of a block of aluminum much more than what's been going on for the last 50 years, you know, without losing the integrity of the reel. So I think it is important to, to have innovation and new design and, and, and to make things different and, and to make them better. Um, 
But in our industry, it's a little tougher. You know, we don't have a chip that's faster. We don't have a a display screen that's brighter. Um, What are we going to do? Make a faster rod? Or or are we going to put more circles or or into a reel? Um, So really, I think the direction that the industry is probably looking at as far as innovation is probably going to be more in the material side of things, right? Um, Graphene has been around for a long time. We've been talking about it in this industry for a super long time. It's the ultra strong, ultra thin material. You can make rods that are super lightweight. But that too is like, how much lighter do you need a fly rod to be than a couple ounces? You know? Um, So that's kind of one of the challenges. We can take old models and, and put new colors on them and things like that and, and call it a new name. But is that, being super innovative. I'm not sure, you know, but what we do know is that customers' uh, techniques and things are changing, um, like your own nymphing, you know, even though it's been around for a long time, it's really had a big upsurge in the last five years. So we, as a smaller rod company, can accommodate that by making what we consider to be the best Euro nymphing rod we can make, you know. Um, and that's how we're kind of approaching it. Same thing with glass. I mean, glass is even more challenging. Glass has been around forever. So how much more better can you make glass? Well, fortunately for us, we think there is still room there. So we're able to make those dedicated models, uh, those new models in the 3, 6, and an 8 uh, that we think are going to be some of the best glass you can buy out there. And, and that's how we're going to try to stay on that curve is um, – focus on what our customers are asking for and and doing the best possible job we can to provide what they want. And and um, that's kind of been our focus. Perfect. All right. And uh, I was just thinking, you know, again, people listening here, I, I know a little bit of just from survey data, what people use and stuff like that. And I know there's a lot of people that love Sage, right? Sage is one of those companies that's been around for a long Absolutely. time. You know, how, you know, somebody's listening right now, say they have a Sage rod, you know, they have never heard of you. I mean, what, what's your pitch to that person? You know, I mean, you've probably made a little bit of it today, but you know, why would somebody want to pick up a red truck? Um, you know, if, you know, if they've already been using Sage, stuff like that. And, and I'm, it's more just thinking like, again, how are you out? How are you getting out to these, these new customers? I'm kind of curious on that. So, you know, at the end of the day, I, I think the most important thing that I, I, I tell all of my customers, the most important thing is it's really hard to find a bad fly rod these days. You know, sure, you can go get a real cheap rod from a, you know, big, big box store. Um, but and, and, and it, it doesn't matter where the rod is made. There's plenty of good rods coming out of countries that people aren't a big fan of. You know, there's it's really hard to find bad equipment these days, which is great for the industry. You know, Sage is a leader in our industry. Uh, I have never, ever had anything bad to say about any of these other brands because they all make great stuff. At the end of the day, what Red Truck offers is something that's a little bit different, a little bit more personal. Uh, we try to take into consideration um, what the fly fishermen really, really want. So uh, action, 
cosmetics, that's a personal thing. You know, there's guys that want slower action rods. There's guys that want faster action rods. What, what we're trying to do is we're trying to make rods that people can pick up, whether you're new or if you've been doing this your whole life. When you pick up a red trick rod, you're going to feel that it's different. Um, you know, it, it has, a again, what we call kind of our red truck action, which is a we like to say it's a true progressive rod. The more weight you have out the tip of the rod, a.k.a. your fly line, the deeper the rod should bend. Um, you know, we can get all f- into physics and, and nerd out on that stuff. Um, but ultimately, the biggest thing we've done is we've been able to put this rod in people's hands. And, and by doing that, you know, through our community and through the base of people that already support us, um, people will pick up our rod and most of the times they'll look at you funny and say, how is this six weight so light? And how is it so, how, how does it still have so much backbone? Um, one of the things we've been really fortunate about is um, working with a lot of guides, you know, working with a ton of, of, of fly fishing guides. And if you see a lot of our content, on social media, you'll see that these guys are out there every day using our stuff, putting it in clients' hands. Um, And that's huge. That's really huge for us. The other biggest selling point we have, and fortunately for a lot of rod companies, you know, the transition has happened and happening, uh, but warranty and service is super important to us. Um, If you break a red truck rod by chance or, you know, you roll it up in your window or step on it, um, you just call us up, fill out a quick form. And within 48 hours, most times within an hour of receiving that form, we've got your part boxed up and it's on its way to you. So you don't have to send a rod back and you don't have to sit there for a year and a half to wait for that rod to be fixed. You know, um, we're able to handle our warranty and our goal for every warranty is to have it to the customer in less than a week. Um, So small things like that. And then the last thing, you know, is our service. Um, We tried last night, for example, I got a customer who ordered a bunch of stuff and It was later in the day, but within an hour, he had a tracking number, and he sent us a really nice email saying, in all my years of fly fishing, I've never seen that happen from a rod company. And and those kind of things are the things that we think are important in in 2021, you know, providing good service, good warranties, and something that's going to be different in people's hands. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that's – and that's one of the things that makes you – that separates you is your – you know, the personalization, you know, it's you, uh, people, you know, the know, like, and trust, they know who they're talking to and it's, uh, you know, and they're making a connection with the company, the person. So I think that's awesome. Hey, let's, uh, James, let's break it out here in the, I got this rapid fire round. This is going to be a quick one, but, um, to start this off, this is the, uh, <laughs> the new segment called the G3, uh, uh, and not after Sims, but, um, the three G's. So, so over, you know, today or this week, uh, what's one thing you're grateful for? As far as fishing, I'm grateful for uh, the people that support us and, and and our friends. You know, this week I was able 
to find a small amount of time to go fishing with a, with a buddy that I've known for over two years and we've never met, you know, we've never met personally through, through other than through social media. And we talk all the time. I mean, almost daily, but we were able to go fish and swing up a couple steelhead for the first time uh, in person together. Amazing. Um, so, so I'm grateful for those kind of relationships for sure. That's cool. And what's, what's one thing you'd like to get rid of something's happened today or this week that you'd just like to forget about? Um, I love to get rid of all the negative stuff on social media, yeah. but that will never happen. Right. Um, <clears throat> I, I just feel like, uh, social media has allowed everybody to have an anonymous opinion. How do you deal with that when you get somebody that, cause I get it too, you know, occasionally you'll get something and it'll be like, wow. Okay. I mean, what, what do you do when that happens? You just have to have thick skin and brush it off. Um, I'll always reach out to these people in a super positive way. Sometimes it's really hard to do that, you know, um, but I'll still reach out and respond in a super positive way. Most times people will react positively back towards me and say, hey, I was just being a jackass or I didn't think about it from that perspective. But there's still a lot of times where people are – they're just jerks. And they don't know any other way to live life than being a jerk. And there's nothing you can do. So it's just as simple as turning around, looking at the pictures of my family on my desk. and That's right. Yeah, move <laughs> on. A smile on my face and moving on, you know. Perfect. And, and what about a goal? What, what do you have for a goal either like today, this week, or even further out for, for a red truck? For us, it's real important for us to just uh, – Keep keep reaching out to the right people and and having a positive influence on this industry. You know, um, we have a we have a a long history here, and, and some of those parts of history, if we can change it, we would. But you know, moving forward, we just really want to be positive, have a good positive image. Um, Again, that accessibility to our customers and vice versa has been really big. Um, We'd love to just keep, you know, regardless of how fast we grow, we'd love to just keep having that presence of, hey, the guys at Red Truck are really cool people. And um, if we can do that, we know that we're doing our job. Perfect. Perfect. What about a uh, podcast? You listen to any podcasts? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, what, what what do you got for a favorite? It doesn't have to be fishing, but what's just one that you like to listen to? You know, I'm I'm really into like the true crime stuff, like oh, yeah. a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, every day when I go work out, um, my big thing is is listening to those true crime podcasts. Um, there's lots of them, right? Oh, there's a bunch. Yeah, I mean, uh, <clears throat> what do I listen to these days? Um, Sword and scale is still a big one. Um, yeah. Why is the truth? Tell, tell me that. I, I'm interested because I haven't really listened to much of those. I know my dad used to watch a lot of that stuff. Why do you love, why do people love, why do you love the true crime stuff? I, I don't know what it is, man, but my entire life, I've always been kind of interested in that stuff. You know, um, I remember when I was a little kid, like I used to read about the Zodiac killer. Yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. Right. Um, I don't really know what it is about it because it's not a, it's not like some happy-go-lucky subject. No, right? you're 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 talking about people usually getting murdered. Yeah, or, or horrible things happening. It, it's um, the same thing. The news. It's, it's the same thing. The news, yeah. right? You know the fact that I don't watch much of the news because it's like the five top things are always you know the murders that happen. But you know, but that gets people to watch. But maybe for me, it's actually. Um, 
the resolution or the or, or the the you know when when the case gets solved you know i i think that's that's probably what attracts me to it um yeah i i couldn't put my finger on why i'm so attracted to that stuff but i've always been and i continue to be um quite honestly with fly fishing podcasts <clears throat> there's only a couple that i'm really super into and and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know, 10, 12 hours a day, I'm already talking shop. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm already talking with not only our customers, but my peers. And, and, um, <clears throat> I think for me, it's just nice having that break a little bit, uh, from taking it to that next step with my free time of listening to just how to Euro them for this guy's take on dry flies. I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. I do enjoy them, you know, if the right, if the right guest is on or, or, you know, uh, the right subject matter, you know, I do enjoy that, but I just don't find myself going to download them every week. You no. know, there's only a couple that I really, uh, that I really enjoy and, and, uh, like this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah there you go. Yeah. Totally. I mean, we, uh, I, I agree by the way. I mean like this, like the little chitter chatter we're having here now on this random stuff. I mean, for me, it's fun because we could have sat here and talked about fishing the whole time. And I do sometimes, but I mean, I really love just being able to hear a little of your background and, and dig into some random stuff, you know, and I, I don't know, I guess that's, again, it goes back to the thing is like, I feel like if I'm, if I'm staying, if I'm not getting bored, then probably there's probably a few people out there that probably are, are, be, are okay with it. Even though I probably, <laughs> yeah. I probably will get some hate mail from some people basically saying, you know, where's your fishing stuff. Uh, but, uh, sure. uh, let, let's keep this going. We're going to a couple more here, uh, James. Um, what about a boat? Do you have a boat or have a boat that you'd love to get if you had to grab one? Uh, this has been a hot topic for years in my life, man. Yeah, let's hear it. <laughs> um, I, I've, I grew up on boats, like I said, in the ocean. My dad had a real awesome fishing slash diving boat. Um, I currently do not own a boat. The only, the only flotation devices I have are a, a really cool outcast, uh, float tube and a, and a water master. Um, I, I'm currently, and by currently, I mean for the last year and a half, in the process of building a small little eight foot pram nice. <laughs> should have taken me two weeks, but we're looking at, you know, two years coming up here. Wood. Yeah. Out of wood. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can have any boat in the world, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be what you think is your typical boat. Um, there's a company here in Sacramento. It's the boat I grew up on. They're called Farallon boats. They're super heavy duty. They're, they, they're not the most beautiful boats in a lot of people's eyes, but they're definitely the most durable boats for what I like to do. You know, um, I'm really interested again in, in a lot of the salt water stuff, the open water stuff. Uh, so, if I had an endless budget and I can pick one boat for for the things that I enjoy doing, it'd be a Farallon boat, and uh, I'd be out under that Golden Gate Bridge all the time fishing, fishing as much as I can. There you go, perfect. Yeah, we had a. A little series on drift boats and had a, we had one that actually we talked about, I think it was episode 177 where the guy that wrote the book on the history of drift boats, we talked about building, Uh I think it was uh, Roger Fletcher and he's got a, Uh yeah, he's got a book on if you want to build a a drift boat or a skiff. I think he covers a lot of the designs there. So that's interesting. Um, Okay. And and what about in a super random one? um, uh, What do you, what do you, are you a coffee drinker or what are you drinking in the morning? 
I am an ultra coffee drinker. What, I've what do you, had three cups before our chat. There today. you go. <laughs> what, what are you going with? Do you, do you care what type of coffee, what brand, or what, what do you what do you do? Um, you know, I'm I really love my Hawaiian coffee. Right? Okay. So um, I, I'm really into the Kona blend. Oh yeah. Um, if I if I had a choice, I'd be drinking you know some kind of Kona blend every day, but it's not super uh accessible or affordable so um our go-to is basically either a kona blend or unfortunately i hate to admit this but we drink starbucks in this house so yes uh, we've got our our starbucks every morning ready to go in our coffee machine and uh yeah I know. That's how we roll. <laughs> Don't, uh, yeah, you shouldn't feel too bad about that. I mean, Starbucks is this massive. I think the Starbucks is kind of like the, well, I don't want to put an analogy and make somebody feel uh, bad, you know, like our, <laughs> our big fly fishing company. We talked about Sage, but I, I had an episode, and I'll give a shout out now. Angler's Coffee uh, is a sponsor, and they, um, sure. episode 207, I interviewed Joe, the founder, a really cool episode. And we talked about Starbucks. We talked about how he was there early on. And, but yeah, so anybody that wants to check out a, a new coffee and support the podcast, it's actually really good. And in fact, they make a dark blend that tastes a lot nice. like uh, a lot like Starbucks, like their. Pipe. Yeah, I'll definitely, you know, being a coffee lover, I one hundred percent will get in touch with those guys today and buy some. Yeah, and yeah, try it out yeah. Check it sure. out. Check it out. Yeah, let let them know. Yeah. Let them know you heard from from us. I. I, you know, at first, it's one of those things that are a little bit more expensive, you know, obviously. But Joe tells the story in episode 207 of why. And part of that thing is the fact that he sources sustainably, you know, and he goes through it. It's all, you know, and he's giving back. It's just a cool story. And again, more expensive, but, you know, you pay for what you get. And if you want to, you know, support conservation and, and good people and stuff, it's like. And, and nowadays, that's so important, right? Yeah. Like, uh, it's not like Starbucks is cheap, but. You know, supporting those companies that do the right thing is so important, and not just for me, but I think for a lot of fly fishermen. Yeah. So yeah, a couple more bucks, not a big deal. Like I said, I really would look love to try that out. So I'm definitely going to take your your uh, take your opinion Sweet on man. that. Up. Sweet man. Um, and the final one, uh, music. I've been doing this music thing because we have a Spotify channel for the Wet Fly Swing. Um, a podcast uh but uh what, what do you got what do you have a band or type of music you like to listen to we got oh playlist? man this is another opening a can of worms thing right yeah. so <clears throat> i moved to san francisco when i was 20 years old not because it was the great city not because of any other reason but that the good old grateful dad was from oh, san francisco nice. california that's why you moved to san francisco that's literally why I moved there. That's amazing. <laughs> I worked for Bill Graham Presents for a couple years. Um, <clears throat> so I love jam bands. You know, uh, I'm a huge fan of Fish. I'm a huge fan of uh, String Cheese Incident. Um, I love uh, I love a lot of other genres. You know, I grew up being a big uh, hip hop guy too. You know, L.A. rap. Um, in kind of in my in my. Uh, playlist these days you know you'll still find mostly the grateful dead what's one grateful dead give me give me i know they have tons but what, what's one if you had to throw it out there we could throw in the show notes you know 
gosh, that's or a an tough album one. or or an al- is there an album or or a uh... well, you know, being a jam band. Oh guy, yeah, they never really had albums too much. Well, they had albums, but we have uh, a lot more like live, live shows, right? That's right? We have a lot of access to live shows, so like there's a couple standards, you know, like the good old Cornell shows are, are legendary. Okay. Uh, for fit for fish, you have a lot of the old Vermont shows, or or even the the shows back east uh, in Jersey. Um, a, a lot on my playlist right now. I listen to some shows from uh, 2010 in Berkeley, California, for fish. Um, Perfect. <laughs> the list can go on and on, man. How would somebody, if they want to, if they love the dead but don't have much live music, or they love fish but don't, where would they find live music? Some of this stuff. Well, the beauty of it nowadays is uh, these bands record all of their shows and they put it out there even on Apple Music, you know? So if you typed in the Grateful Dead in the Apple, you're going to get dozens and dozens oh, wow. and dozens of live shows now. Um, so it's super accessible. When I was a kid, you literally would like, trade tapes through the mail yeah you know you'd get on these mailing lists and when the internet first came out you'd find other deadheads and and mail tapes and cds to each other um and and nowadays we can just send an email with the click of a file and and just uh, with the click of your mouse and send a file over um and that was the beauty of that that scene was that the bands let you record their shows Right. And uh, nowadays that's like so frowned upon because Uh, they don't want that that intellectual property to go out. But yeah. So that's really what attracted me. It was the community. Yeah. Just kind of similar to our fly fishing community. Um, And again, not to be the dead horse, but accessibility, you know, Um, when I was in San Francisco working for the industry, you know, (laughs) getting the meat all the guys and drinking beers with guys from the dead or going on a 12 city tour with fish. Did you do that? I mean, you were actually, you met, did you ever meet like uh, Jerry Garcia? I never, uh, no, Jerry died a little bit too soon before I moved to San Francisco. Oh, right, right. Who was there? What about Grisman and those guys? Uh, you know, I've, I've, I've never sat down with Dave Grisman, but I've definitely, you know, been in the same house as Dave Grisman. (laughs) Um, you know, I've got to meet Phil Lesh, the bass player, Bobby Weir, the, yep. the other guitarist. Um, yeah, I, that was like the coolest time of my life. You know, my 20s and 30s, um, having great. access to my favorite bands and like spending time with those guys, you know. It, it, it was pretty amazing, you know, having breakfast with Carlos Santana or uh, seeing the Allman Brothers do 12 nights at the Warfield for practice for a tour or, you know, chilling out with Neil Young or, you know, really lucky. No kidding. You you you, you did. Then just quickly, just quickly, I know we're going on a tangent here, but so and how you did this because this was your your day job, your line of work. What, how were you connecting with Neil Young? Well, so Bill Graham, Pres- Bill Graham Presents was kind of the big promotion company in San Francisco. So any major rock rock and roll or any major shows coming through the city, um, you would have to go through Bill Graham Presents. You know, so they controlled Shoreline Amphitheater, the Warfield, the Fillmore, um, and I worked for those guys just doing everything. I started out there just doing simple stuff uh, by postering up the Haight-Ashbury district. Um, 
and and eventually you know you kind of it's just like everything else you build relationships and and you meet the right people and fortunately for me having that early on in my stay at san francisco enabled me to get very spoiled and um that's the one thing i don't that is the one thing i miss about the city is you know i always literally i always got the best seats in the house all right um for any show you know and even even shows that weren't in the jam band scene uh, we'd always have the best shows or the best seats and uh nowadays like fish is coming through sacramento in october and i missed out on the mailing list none of my friends work there anymore yeah so you don't have the <laughs> so inside do I want to go and sit in the nosebleeds or, you know, so, so that's the one thing I miss about San Francisco the most for sure. Yeah. Why did you, and just to wrap this up, um, so why did you get out of it? Why, what, that was a line of work you had, uh, you know, you eventually got out. Is that something that just, uh, how'd that happen? You know, I've always been super entrepreneurial. You know, I grew up in the house where my fam, my parents owned their own businesses um, my sisters all uh, have owned their own businesses. Um, when I was 24, I started uh, a recruiting company in San Francisco. So I was really lucky because um, that's kind of the second gold rush in San Francisco with all the dot-coms and the tech companies. Um, so I was able to recruit employees for a lot of the big companies that to this day are still out there, you know, in technology and, and websites and so forth. So... For me, I always knew I was going to kind of be my own boss. Yeah. And gotcha. uh, I went down that road. And after 10 years, um, like I said before, I sold that company off. And um, fly fishing really happened accidentally as far as coming into the industry. Um, it wasn't something I planned. It just kind of happened. And uh, it's enabled me to, to grow my family, have a family. Um, we left San Francisco to kind of get away from that city life. And, and also it's, you know, the most expensive city in America to live in. Yeah, totally. (laughs) So, um, to kind of get the goals we wanted as a family, we left that city, uh, and, and that's it. You know, now I'm super lucky again, and I'm so happy because, I get to stay in the fly fishing industry. I get to now be my own boss and kind of everything over the culmination of my entire adult professional life has come to now. And, um, you know, not only am I able to be my own boss, but I get to work in, a, in an industry that I'm super passionate about, uh, something that I love from top to bottom, um, and trust me, every single day I wake up and I feel so lucky and so happy that I have this chance. Well, I think that's a perfect uh, way to leave it off, James. And uh, I'll send everybody out to uh, redtruckflyfishing.com if they have questions. And uh, yeah, man, this has been fun. I think we've uh, had another uh, kind of random one and a lot of, uh, which are some of my favorite episodes. So I think this is going to be good. But yeah, thanks for taking the time today to put this together. Yeah, right on, Dave. Good good to speak with you and uh, look forward to whatever we can do in the future again, my friend. So there you go. If you want to find all the show notes, all links, and everything else we covered today, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 246. That is 246. 
If you get a chance, please uh, click that subscribe button on the app you're listening to right now if you're on an app. Um, if you have any questions, you can go to wetflyswing.com slash subscribe and you can find out uh, easily click through and subscribe to the app. This will assure that you get updated when that episode uh, drops. And next week, we've got a good one. Tuesday, uh, David Van Wee is here to talk about his 5,000-mile journey um, to some of the uh, most storied and historic fly fishing waters of the country. This is focused on the East Coast. Um, but we get into, uh, we talk a little about Hemingway. I think I even call out Hemingway in that one, which is pretty funny. Uh, Leopold, and uh, along with talk about David's books. So um, some good stuff on Tuesday. Click that subscribe button. If you have any questions uh, or if you're interested, if that sounds good to you, and you'll get uh, you'll get that popped right in your phone next week. That's all I have for you today. That's a wrap. That's everything uh, that I have on tap. I'm going to be moving on right now, uh, hopping in the truck and heading out to that next destination of my own. Hope you have a good day or evening wherever you're at. See you. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.